Welcome back into the Empire State of Mind podcast. This is part two of our special three-part interview with Devin Gordon, author of So Many Ways to Lose, the amazing true story of the New York Mets, the best worst team in sports. We thank you again for joining us. If you haven't checked out part one yet, make sure you do so as well. Part three will be coming at you tomorrow, May 7th, 2021, on the five-year anniversary of Bartolo Colon's historic home run in San Diego. Make sure you like, rate, review, and subscribe. Check us out on the Metsmerize online network. Find us on Instagram at Empire State Pod, on Twitter at Empire State Pod. We're on YouTube and on Facebook. And tomorrow, this episode will be released in full in a video version on Metsmerized Online. So make sure you check that out. But we're going to get into it right now. Devin Gordon here on the Empire State of Mind podcast, brought to you by Metsmerized Online and USA Today. I haven't talked about it at all, but to an extent, Dom Smith with the social justice and the yes. Black Lives Matter movement. Another leader. He's become another, another leader. sort of fixture. Yeah, another and fixture. Almost to a national extent. I feel that it, the casual sports fan more than likely knows who Dom Smith is because his, of his off-the-field work than necessarily Michael Conforto. Look, probably probably one of my, I don't want to say my favorite moments of last year, but the moment that I will remember from whatever that was, baseball season that was last year, that weird baseball season, was him. That season, I remember and value that Mets season because I'm an old, you know, dead loser who every season I try to think of, you know, the things that I really enjoyed about it. I'm like, okay, I'll remember this season because of that. I remember 2020, not just because of Dom in that moment talking about George Floyd, but also he hit the crap out of the ball all year for whatever it was. And, you know, what you're bringing up is something that I feel like as fans, and maybe this is just because I'm a journalist and a writer and I have a professional duty to do this, but I try to apply that to the reasonableness of my fandom as well, which is be reasonable. You can't have Dom, Thor, Conforto, DeGrom, Lindor. You know, you can't have all of your presence. That's not how this works. You know this isn't how this works. You have to make some super, super hard choices that you're probably going to regret in some regard. What? It, which is it? Like, to me, it's like, if you're saying you want to hold on to Conforto, you're probably getting rid of, you're either getting rid of Dom Smith or J.D. Davis, or one of those pitchers, or probably two of the three, because don't you think we're like we're getting a center fielder this offseason, or we're gonna have to like you know light the like the Big Apple in front of the City Field on fire? I might we need like we need a center fielder desperately. That is so clear, and it's not gonna be a cheap one, right? Like so, if you're adding to the to the to the bottom line and don't just do this whole Steve Cohen can afford it crap like that's not that's stupid that's how you get to be the will ponds and I think it's not so much Steve Cohen it's what Mets fans have witnessed across the city for the last 25 years because look as much as Yankees fans want to claim 27 and all those championships 
At least twenty of them were were before they were all born. Yeah, you guys. Yeah, I hate that. It's just like shut up. Let's (laughs) let's start in the eighties because for the eighties the city was a Mets city. Yeah. No, people forget that in the eighties the Yankees were not the talk of the town, and yeah, in the nineties and then the early two thousands, and I think that back page war. Now that the Mets finally have an owner that's willing to spend, where the Yankees are saying hey, we don't want to be under the luxury tax. We don't want to be revenue, all of these different things. I think Mets fans are a little, we're a little spoiled in that regard that it was like, okay, the shoes finally turned. Now you know how we feel and we're going to rub it in. It was always a little bit um, bizarre and naive because first of all, I don't want to be the Yankees. I don't want to win that way. Usually it doesn't work and it's no fun. Um, It's a pathway to having players that you don't enjoy watching. Um, even if, even when they win. So, so let's, number one, this is supposed to be fun. And if we all, I don't know why everybody suddenly thinks that they're, you know, after years of complaining and complaining about juggernauts like the Yankees and Lakers or whomever spending everything and buying all the best players, we suddenly want to be that team. I don't want to be that team. I want to be the team that beats that team. That's what I like about being the Mets. And anyway, like you said, being, being third, <laughs> in payroll or whatever, you know, because the team in Los Angeles has every bit as much money as you do is, you know, not a failure. Like there's also the fact that like spending, there is a myth that the Wilpons didn't spend money. What they did was they spent it stupidly and inconsistently. There are many, many, many years where the Wilpons had the high, you know, had top five payroll in baseball or top 10 payroll other than the, you know, other than those dark, you know, um, Bernie Madoff years, they spent money. What they did wrong was who they spent it on. And one of the things you probably know about the Wilpons history of spending money is that what they would do is they would do something like Mike Piazza that would go really well. And then they would think we're geniuses. We got Mike Piazza. We can just do this. And then they go out and when Mike Piazza gets too old, they try to replace him with Mo Vaughn. And Mo Vaughn is a fortune and it's a disaster. And then the Wilpons get very angry because they surrounded Mo Vaughn with a couple other Mo Vaughns who have smaller numbers. And they're like, screw this. We're not spending any money anymore. You wouldn't trick us into doing that again, writing that check for that bum. They do that for two years. They keep, they bottom out. And suddenly they're like, we got to spend some money because this is a disaster. We got to go out and buy some free agents. And this time they get Delgado and they get Carlos Beltran, right? And it works for a little bit until it doesn't. And then Madoff wipes it. Like that was the Wilpons, right? It wasn't that they didn't. And it was always a misperception. I never quite understood why fans felt this way. And what's what's even more misconstrued about that, because you look at it with revisionist history, the money spent on that, the back end of the Wilpons, you know, I'll use contracts like a JJ Putz, a, yeah. um, Francisco Rodriguez, uh, Jason Bay. When those signings were made, they were good signings. Yeah. It wasn't, yeah, yeah. The players never lived up to it. Yes. But when the Mets signed Jason Bay, they needed a left fielder. That was their number one need that offseason. And he was the number one left fielder on the board. It seemed like that should have worked. And the same thing with J.J. Putts. They needed a setup man. They bring in Putts to go in front of Rodriguez. And just nothing ever seemed to work when they spent money at the end. Even if it was well, that, but, you know, like, a smart move. That, you know, you bring up J.J. Putts. 
to me, the mistake there is not his baseball evaluation. The mistake was assuming that the Mets could sign someone named JJ Putz and it would work out. <laughs> right? This is what I mean. This is what I mean. You just, if you understand the Mets, you wouldn't do something like that because the way in which it's going to blow up should be clear to you from a mile away. And also, look, you're putting, I, I realize part of this sounds like, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm doing some sort of smoke and mirrors karmic, you know, it was inevitable. No, 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 no. You really are putting JJ Putts into a situation where people are going to be putting him on the back page with Putts every time he screws up. And if you don't understand that, as the general manager who is building the New York Mets, you're making a mistake. You it's, really do have to keep stuff in mind. It does matter I, when you're building your team. It's why at 11 and 12 and a half game out of first place, we're having this conversation. Because Yes, exactly. Because we know we've, we've seen this movie. Yes. And these are things that, you know, a Mets fan sort of understands about the team. Like, like Wilpons were not cheap. They were stupid. And they didn't learn from their mistakes. There's a big difference. To me, the reason why, and if we're bringing this back to Cohen, and why I've always found the, you know, the, the, the optimism and the solution to our problems that is Steve Cohen so peculiar is number one, money, as we know, don't solve all your problems. Like you can, so you can spend your money, lots of it, in very bad ways. So the thing that I'm excited about with Steve Cohen is not the unlimited money, although, you know, that's nice. It's, he seems to bring a rigor and a sensibility and a discipline to his decision-making. That is what I'm excited about. That is what feels different to me. Not the money, although obviously he has more money than Wilpons, he has more money than everyone. It is the approach. It is the leadership technique and franchise building technique. That is what gives me optimism. But the idea that him being able to spend us to a World Series kind of makes me laugh. And even the he's a solution to all our problems makes me laugh. Like that, like, are, have you followed our team? Are you paying attention right now? The problems are just gonna be of a different variety. Steve Cohen isn't playing corner outfield or picking up the bump every fifth day. He's well, not- there's also that, there's also that. And clearly having Steve Cohen take over your franchise does not necessarily exercise the skeletons that were buried when he moved into the building, right? Like this he's was a team Bonilla longer than he'll be paying Francisco Lindor. He's still cleaning out the front office that is filled with like creeps, right? And, and the irony, like, okay, so here's an example of why on a, you know, sort of a more serious, less goofy note, to the extent that I'm, reserving judgments on Steve Cohen right now. It is this situation, right? This is a real problem. It's a real, 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 real problem. And it's a bad problem. And it seems like it's pretty systemic. And Sandy Alderson has not handled it well at all. Every time he opens his mouth, I'm wincing about what he's gonna say. He has clearly not taken it seriously enough. And now this is not Cohen's administration necessarily. He inherited Alderson, who he obviously decided to keep and he likes. But no, no, he brought back Alderson. Yeah, he brought him no, back. Brought back Alderson. But all these other people, for the most part, Jared, the behavior of Porter was something that predated the Mets. We can debate whether or not they should have known, whether Alderson should have known. These things didn't, you know, it, these aren't on Cohen's ledger. But our direct ties to Callaway to Alderson and direct ties to Alderson 
to Cohen now. Exactly. So these judgments are on his ledger in some way, even if they're a degree removed. So he has to prove that this matters to him um, in a way that goes beyond firing just the culprits. But here's the other thing. This is a guy who has um, sexual discrimination and harassment settlements in his private businesses in his past, which means that he has to, he has to clear an extra high bar the in order to prove. not known for their sexual equality. Or yeah, yeah. And so he can't just pay lip service to that. He really, really has to mean it and prove it in your actions. And here's my concern with the actions so far. The one action that really makes me wonder just how seriously they're taking it is the pursuit of Trevor Bauer, right? If you are serious about having, you know, no tolerance, if you are serious about being careful about bringing these kinds of risks or situations onto your team before they happen, because that's the only way you really stop it is you don't have those guys on your team, not you hope that they do okay and you work with them to avoid it when they come because those clearly not going to work with Trevor Bauer. They're, they wanted him. They thought they had him, right? The Mets were convinced that they had Bauer. So I think we can make Bauer, it clear. Bauer thought he was a Met. Bauer thought he was a Met. If you are going to go through the whole offseason and have the background in your private businesses that you have and you're going to stand there and say that you take this stuff with the highest of seriousness and you have no tolerance for it. Then you go out and pursue Trevor Bauer and we can argue about what he did. To me, it was a turnoff, I was done with him. You invite bullying to people like that, particularly women online, you're done, I'm done with you. But especially since we have that situation, you cannot take the risk of him coming in, blowing off again, and getting into another sexist related situation because now that takes down the whole ship. That's what happens. That's what takes down the whole ship. Alderson gone, Cohen black eye forever, scandal around the team. You can't risk that. Why are you risking that? If you say you're sincere and you mean it, why are you risking that? So that's what makes me concerned, okay? Now that's an off season free agent pursuit at the top of your rotation. Maybe you're saying, this is a risk worth taking. He'll fit in in New York. It'll be great. I don't know. So, I seem to, don't you feel like we dodged a bullet with Trevor Bauer? I, I do on a multitude of levels. <laughs> not, just, not just that, a multitude. This is a tough situation for me. And, and, and it's not because I condone anything that Trevor Bauer or Sandy Alderson or uh, Mickey Calloway, Jerry Report, anything that they stood for or anything yeah. that they had a part of. It's a tough situation for me because I can't sit here and stand on my soapbox and not pretend that there's a photo of Jose Reyes autographed behind yeah. me and I don't have a, a seven jersey because... My favorite I, player, my favorite player until that happened. Daryl Strawberry. Look, I have a history of, of domestic abusers as my favorite player, I know what you mean. I, I, but to me, that's that. To me, that's why we. What you do is you focus on the the. You know, I am all for, within reason. You know, Roberto Alomar type stuff. But like, 
The past is the past. It was a different time. And that doesn't excuse anything, but it does make me, it, it gets me off the soapbox is what I'm saying. It means I'm not gonna judge that stuff or criticize it or hold them too responsible or, or, or you know, render verdicts on that stuff other than to say, you know, not good. What I am evaluating and what I'm hoping for is that is that they will be true to their word and that they will take it as seriously as they seem to be and say they are taking it. The, and all I'm saying is that the one thing that made me worry is the Trevor Bauer thing in part because the rubber really meets the road on your virtues and your decisions in their toughest moments, right? And your toughest moment is when you're saying, oh, we can really use this ace. Like we could, like this is like, we are World Series serious now if we get this guy, but, right? And that moment right there, that moment is where your virtue really gets put to the test is what you do in that moment. Because it's easier to say, well, you know, Taiwan Walker, you know? Yeah, you know, not, nothing against Taiwan Walker, but I'm, not, I'm sorry. Didn't want to say that about, like, didn't play anything about Taiwan Walker, but you know what I mean? Like if it's, if it's a borderline guy, it is both easier to say no, and in some ways easier to say yes, because if you're saying yes, it's like nobody's really paying attention to that guy. It's not like you're sending a statement about the team with your end of the bench utility dude or whatever. When it's, when it's a potential face of the franchise, um, you're making a decision there. And I, and I wasn't, it concerned me the way in which they made that decision, especially when you consider it against the backdrop of what we now know was going on. It's just like these things all add up as a thing that was clearly not anywhere close to their minds at that time. We're gonna get into a new season, new free agency. And I think we should all, since we all want our, we all want to win virtuously. <laughs> we all want to be the good guys, even if we're fun. I, I don't want to, I mean, I, don't you see what's happening with the Yankees? Who's the guy at the Yankees who, um, I'm sorry? Aroldis Chapman, their closer. Yeah, and, and, but wasn't there somebody else oh, on their team? There was something, oh man, and I, I'm blanking on it now. Yeah, because I don't follow, but there's like a reliever, I think, who oh, got right. suspended. We'll We'll edit this out in post so it sounds like we're very, very smart. In those so guys. that we're very smart. Okay. There is a reliever on the end. I think their team, I think a lot of their players really had a, had a, had a tough time with it. You know, like, I yeah, think okay. that we, we forget this. said something too. Like, I think we have a tough time thinking about this in human terms, right? In human terms, you know, think about having to go to work. Domingo Germain. Domingo Germain. Just think about, put yourself in, this is something that I do as a journalist. Like this is why I feel like I have maybe a little bit more empathy for athletes when they're having a really bad slump. But just think about this at your own workplace. Somebody you know, trust, work with, or maybe even someone you don't particularly like, gets arrested for pretty savagely beating his partner. And now you gotta go in a, you gotta be in a clubhouse with this guy? Like, you gotta have his back, defend him in the media. Think about that. You have a wife you have to go home and answer to, right? You have your own beliefs and opinions about these things. You are entitled to your 
ethics and your morals. And every time you feel like you're saying something that maybe is deflecting or expressing you've got his back, maybe you're getting a little sick about that. Maybe you feel like you're betraying your ideals. And, and I think that we need to have room for that in these discussions, which is when you bring a guy like that into your clubhouse, you are bringing a coworker into your family, into your clubhouse. Someone you spend more time with. Someone you're, exactly. And, and I think that we need to give some of these athletes more credit than we do. I think sometimes we think that someone like Domingo Germain comes into a clubhouse and all he's got to do, everybody's ready to embrace it. And he just has to prove, like he can possibly prove to them in any way, shape or form that he has turned over a new leaf. And that it's just a matter of time before they come together again, because something about the team narrative makes us want to think that. And I don't think that's the case. In fact, I know it's not the case. I, in fact, it's not. Like you walk into the clubhouse and half of those, half of the players in that clubhouse are like, you know what? I'll put on a uniform with that guy, but he and, and I are not talking to each other. And this is where I have the conflict when it comes to Jose. Because I don't right. feel like that. Would, he was coming home to this situation. Yeah, actually, I agree with you. And I actually. It's, it's very hard because he is one of my favorite players of all time. And every time that, whether he was a Marlin or a Rocky or a Blue Jay, and there was a rumor that he was on the move, there was a small part of me that was, are they going to make a move? Are they going to bring him back? Are they going to yeah. bring him back? And it's hard for me to believe that he wasn't embraced when he walked in, but I can understand where guys wouldn't want to at the well, same time. Yeah, yeah, I, exactly. And I, I it's, I'm glad you bring up Jose Reyes because it is such a, a really good example of the complexities of this. And, and as a man, I'm just speaking for myself. And I, if, 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 if a woman were here um, and felt like she needed to set me straight on this, I they would accept it and comments. consider it. Okay, well, good. Well, good. That's great. That's great. Because I should be saying that that, that, that isn't my place to render verdicts on this stuff. I, I did at the time in my own head and, and admitting that this is a rationalization potentially I did feel like if you are saying that forgiveness is deserved at some point and that second chances should be given even for you know stuff like this um, the only team I felt could justifiably and defensively bring back Jose Reyes and give him another job was the Mets. I felt like the Mets could say, okay, look, nobody else can give you a second chance without it coloring their decision-making in exactly the reasons that you and I have been talking about. If you have no previous relationship, no emotional connection to Jose Reyes, and you bring him in because he can help your team and pay him millions of dollars, you are consciously deciding that his history of domestic violence, whatever you believe about his redemption is not as important as what he can do for your team because you are making a choice between him and someone else. There are other free agents on the market who didn't, hit, who didn't beat their wives. You could assign them. So you are making a choice whether you like it or not. The Mets had a long, this was a 
hero. This was my favorite player until that happened. Right. I, I know a lot of people who had to get fired. A lot of people put away their Jose Reyes jerseys forever. And even when he came back and even, and I will always have a soft spot. I have always said that the most exciting thing in baseball in the mid two thousands was Jose Reyes hitting a triple. There was nothing more exciting to watch than Jose Reyes hitting a triple, not least because he seemed to do it an awful lot. It was amazing watching him play. Listening to City Field chant the Jose chant as he's on busting himself off on third base. Yeah. He was the most, he was, you know, except for, you know, sort of peak strawberry, he was the most peak strawberry, you know, like position player wise, the most thrilling Met I ever got to watch. Most delightful, exciting. I loved, loved, loved Jose Reyes. And when that news hit, it broke my heart. Because I knew I was basically done with him as like there would be no Jose Reyes jerseys. And I also knew that when I would see a Jose Reyes jersey at City Field from now on, I'd be like, come on, come on, guy. And all the jerseys, all the Mets, right? Like it's almost there's something active about that. It's how I feel when I see a Lenny Dykstra jersey. Okay, so this is actually, I think, an interesting moral comparison. Think about how you'd feel wearing the jersey in mixed company. And that should sort of give you a judgment. You personally should give you a judgment about, like, I would never feel comfortable wearing a Jose Reyes jersey. I just, I just wouldn't. I would also not have felt comfortable wearing a Trevor Bauer jersey. I wouldn't have. I will. I wouldn't have worn a, a, a Johan Santana jersey. And you know, th- there's a lot of reasons I wouldn't have worn a Roberto Alomar jersey. But you know what I mean. Like, but there are gradients of that. And I think that if you're having that instinct, it should be telling about, you know, the way you form a team. And the Jose Reyes thing was a particularly complicated thing because he had won a batting title for us. He was, you know, gotten us to, you know, playoffs. Um, He was a future Mets Hall of Famer. Then that's maybe now in doubt because of this. I don't know. But like, it was okay for us. I think, and maybe I will get blasted in the comments to say this. I mean, maybe if you feel like, if you feel like he just had spent his chance and should have been out of baseball, I respect that. But if there's a single team in baseball that I think could say with a clear conscience, we're going to give Jose Reyes a second chance, it was the Mets because the Mets had the emotional, they had the, they were in the moral position to not moral. They were in the emotional position to give him a second chance. Um, and I, and I, and I guess I'm sort of glad that that happened because I liked him so much. Um, but I defer to the, the women, uh, in your, in your listenership on whether that's enough. Yeah. It's tough as two middle-aged white men are sitting here talking about race. Yeah. Yeah. And that's, but, but you know what, like to, to be, to, to, to continue to be white men, middle-aged men talking about this for another minute, um, that's why we should be so hyper-conscious of it going forward, right? That's why you have to be over-conscious of it because you never know if you're missing something small that you're missing the clue to the stick of dynamite that you just lit. Want to say thank you again to Devin Gordon for joining us. That was part two of our three-part special episode here Tomorrow, we release part three where we talk about Bartolo Colon on the five-year anniversary of his home run in San Diego, the historic event, and as Devin calls it, the greatest home run in New York Mets history. Of course, we'll have our weekly Twitter poll for you tomorrow, so we appreciate you sticking around for all three parts. 
Until then, though, make sure that you listen to part one, listen to part two, like, rate, review, subscribe, download. Check out MetsmerizeOnline.com as always. And make sure until tomorrow, as always, you keep living life with an empire state of mind.